0: Include administrative needs like preparing the printing and copying that's done for each week, um, as well as communication, sending out the emails and the letters that uh, we send out to kids and students. So, if these are areas that you might be interested in, or any area within family ministry, you can check out. We have a display in the lobby that says say yes on it, and either Tim Van Dahlen or I will be there um, to talk to you. Thanks, Alicia. I'm John Miklis, lead pastor here at CCC, and it's great to have you here if you're a guest. uh, We're honored that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday with you, and for those of you that call CCC, you're at home, it's great to have you here today. A couple of things before we dive in the message this morning. Uh, Our ushers have some cards that they're going to pass out to you. Uh, Give one of those to you as a reminder about our Easter service that's coming up, as well as for you to use this as an invitation. Uh, Stick in your pocket and uh, pass that out to someone this next week We'll have three services, 8 o'clock, 9.45 and 11.30. And again, just a reminder like we did at um, Christmas is we're encouraging you to go to our website, cocalico.church. You'll see the same image there. Click that, give you three service options. Click one of those to let us know which one you are coming to. Uh, We just want to make sure we have a seat for everybody. And so that's what we're asking you uh, to do in order to make that happen. Also want to give you a quick update on our worship pastor Johnny, just to tell you a little bit about what he's doing this week. Um, So, Johnny got to go on a field trip this week. He got to go to Dick's Sporting Good and one of his favorite places to eat Chick-fil-A, you know. So, he got to go there, buy himself lunch, pay for it, and uh, that was a pretty cool accomplishment for him. And then when we were there with him uh, on Friday, they were uh, actually teaching him how to navigate through the building, you know, how to read signs, how to find his way to certain places, and then find his way back home. And And my wife said to me, who's really bad with directions, if this would ever happen to me, don't even bother to tell him to try to reteach me that. That's just not going to work, you know. But he did a great job. He navigated around through the whole building, had his little list of places to go, and uh, made great progress. So, um, we continue to thank you for your prayers uh, for not only for him and his recovery, but also for Susan as they're navigating really just all of this new season in life. Um, A lot of the Uh, trauma of the moment has worn off, and so now they're faced with how life is going to look for them. And as we said to you before, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so, while we're reporting good progress to you, there's a long, long way to go. And so, please continue your prayers, and we're very grateful for those taking place on a daily basis for Him. Well, a few weeks ago, my daughter was going through some things that… that she was trying to decide whether to keep or get rid of. And is this in the garbage pile? Is this in the goodwill pile? And, and she pulled one item out and she said, ah, I think I'm going to take this to goodwill. And, and it was a, a Christmas bear. And as she pulled this Christmas bear and was ready to put it in the goodwill pile, my wife and I were both aghast. We're like, how can you put the bear in the, in the goodwill pile? She's like, what's so big? Of, what's so important about the bear? And we told her, we said, well, don't you remember when you were like three and a half years old, you went in the store and you saw this bear and you didn't ever ask for a lot and you asked for that and like good parents, we didn't give it to you, you know, and we left you crying, you know, there in the store. We didn't leave her, but she was crying, you know, there in the store. But... Uh, um, you know, but we, of course, I went back, or one of us went back, purchased it, and then had it there for her to open on Christmas morning so she could have it, and it was something that she loved and treasured for many, many years, and she said to us, she said, well, if you're that attached to it, you can keep it, but I'm not keeping it, so <laughs> so guess where it's going? Back in our attic, that's where it's going. You know, maybe for another little three- or four-year-old, that will appreciate it at some point in time down the road, you know. Um, but we all have things like that, don't we, that we become attached to, and they have this connection to a heart, and we don't really realize it until someone threatens to take it away or someone questions it. Uh, maybe, you had, uh, maybe you were in a situation where you grew up in the same house, and you, were, you lived all your life there, and then you went away to college. And while you were away at college, parents decided to downsize a little bit, and they're going to sell the house. And you're like, no, you can't sell the house. That's the house of my childhood. You can not sell that house. They're like, well, we're selling it. We're moving, you know, we're downsizing, you know. Or maybe you experienced that when, uh, when you got married, and uh, your, your spouse, your new spouse says, what's this thing? You're like, oh, this has so much sentimental value, and it happened with this and this, and they're like, okay, that's going in your closet. I don't ever want to see that thing again, you know. You can bury it in the back of the closet, but it had sentimental value to it, to, uh, to you personally. And there's things like that that we realize, we don't realize until someone starts talking about, wow, that's really personal, that has a lot of value to me. And this morning, we're going to talk about a Christian tradition um, called baptism that has a sense of that for many, many people. Um, it's a practice that's been a part of the church for centuries, and even today is a part of every church that claims to have some type of Christian faith orientation. Um, and then you don't realize until you start talking about how much sentimental value it has. And so, this morning… Uh, We talked about having a baptism this week and next week. We asked the ones this week if they could wait, and they agreed to do that. And so, I hadn't spoken on this subject for a couple of years, and I thought, you know, I want to talk about this subject today um, in preparation for our baptism next week. You know, a verse that talks about this that might be the most well-known verse in the Bible, or one of the most well-known other than John 3.16, is this verse, and that's um, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This was Jesus speaking as He was about ready to leave the earth. This was some of His last instructions, His final parting words, and if His final parting words you would assume would be very important. Um, And in order to understand the history of some of this, we have to talk do something we don't normally do, and that's talk a little bit about language. Language. And so the word baptize is… I want to talk with you for a moment about that word. The, the Bible was written in a day when the common language of that region where Jesus lived was, called, was the Greek language. And that culture was called koine, which is common Greek. It was the language of the common man. And so that's what the Bible was originally written in. As the disciples started to write some of these things down and they recorded the events that happened in the life of Jesus and later in the life of Paul, they wrote it in this language… And then years later, when they started to translate that into other languages, translate into into English, they would take each word in the Greek language and they would put an equivalent English word with it. So, for instance, the Greek word uh, theos is the word for God. And so, whenever the word theos would show up, they'd write the word God. But there were a few words that they didn't choose to do that with. And that's another whole conversation, but one of the words is this word baptize. They didn't choose to translate that. They chose to transliterate it. You say, what's the difference? Well, they simply took the word uh, "baptizo" and they tried to find an English equivalent for each one of the letters. So the first letter there is B, is beta. What does beta sound like in our English language? What letter? It's this is not hard, guys. What letter does the word beta sound like in the English language? B. Very good. How about the next letter, alpha? What's that sound like in the English letter, language? Hey, very good. And you could actually go through if I pronounce each one of those and you would say, oh, that sounds like this letter, that sounds like this letter, that sounds like this letter. And so that's literally what they did. They transliterated that word. The challenge with that word is this word, baptizo, it wasn't a religious word originally. It was just a common word of that day. So how did a common word of that day become such a treasured part of most people's faith tradition. How did that happen? I want us to take a few minutes and talk about how that happened. The word originally meant to, to soak, to wash, to dip, or to plunge. And this word was used of documents that would talk about a ship sinking. They would say the ship was baptized, it sunk. Um, a well-known document uh, from uh, the second century B.C. was of Nicander who was a physician. And he had this document that was preserved throughout history and referenced numerous times about a a recipe that he had for preserving pickles. And as he talked about how he would make the pickles, he talked about taking this and and baptizing them in the boiling water. And then he would baptize them in the cold water. And then when they died, they would go to heaven to be with Jesus. No, that didn't happen. um, So, they used this word baptize. It was just part of the Greek language. And they would use that when they were describing them dipping or soaking or something sinking and being immersed. And that was the first translation in the first century with Jesus. So, wash, soak, dip, that was what that word was translated. And it shows up in Mark's uh, chapter 7, verse 4. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. See, the, they're talking about the, the Pharisees here. And what do you think that word wash in the original language is? Anybody want to take a wild guess? What do you think? Baptizo. Yeah, exactly. And they observe many other traditions such as washing of the cups, pitchers, and kettles. And so, this word, they talked about baptizing dishes and baptizing plates. That's what they talked about when they discussed it. Here's another verse in Luke 11:38. 38. The Pharisees were surprised when they noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And again, what do you think that word is in the Greek? Baptizo, baptizo. So this was just a common word that was used in that culture and used in that day when they talked about washing things. But it also it started to take on some religious and theological connotations. And we learned something about this when over in the land of Israel, because there's a process that the Jews would participate in called ceremonial washing. Ceremonial washing. You say, what's ceremonial washing? Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, when God wrote down the law and He gave it to the people, and He said, "This is how I want you to function in relationship to Me," God said that there are certain activities when these things take place, you would be ceremonially unclean, and you would have to do something and cleanse yourself before you came into the temple, place of worship. They say what, and and so you're like, how did that work? They're in the desert. How did they cleanse themselves? Well, they had these things in Israel called a mikvah. Mikvah, I never even heard of them until I went over there, but you can see it. There's steps going down, and there's a woman down there, and there would be water down in this mikvah where she's standing. It would be about up to her waist, um, and you would walk down into this place and be cleansed and then walk back out. These are all around the city of Jerusalem. Wealthy people had these in their homes, temples, places of worship. There was always a mikvah. So before you could go into the place of worship, you would have to go through some type of cleansing if you were ceremonially unclean. You say, what would make someone ceremonially unclean? Well, a couple different things. So if you handled a dead animal, um, or if you're taking care of someone who had passed away, a dead body, you would have to go down into the water and uh, bent and squat down and then come back up out of the water. Um, for women, after they gave birth or after their menstrual cycle, they would have to be cleansed. And they would go down in the water and then come back up out of the water. Um, if you were sick with leprosy and somehow you recovered from leprosy, you would have to be ceremonially cleansed. And so, you would go down in the water, come back up in the water. We asked them when they changed the water. That's an interesting question. When did they change? They said when you put a stick in there and it didn't fall over. That's when you changed the water. So, sorry, I just had to tell you that. That was kind of gross, but they're in the desert, remember. There's not a lot of water. Somebody had to haul it in there to change it, but, but this was just part of the Jewish life. This is just part of the way they live life. So, when they talked about washing or cleansing, this is what would come to their mind as they would go down, and this would have to take place. But in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, there's another, another uh, bigger one, and you can see the desert all around there. Um, what did Jesus say? Did He say, go and make disciples of all nations, washing them? or scrubbing them, or dipping them. That's not the word Jesus used, did He? No, He chose to use this word, baptize. Why did He use that word, and how did this happen? Well, during the time between the two major portions of the Bible, there's an Old Testament, and then there's a New Testament, the Old and the New. During the time between those two, is a time known in history for the Jewish people, is 400 silent years, 400 silent years. During that time, God didn't talk to people, through prophets, through kings, through individuals. He, he was silent. God was silent. And during this time period, there were individuals who had observed the Jewish community, the Jewish faith, and they were outside. They were considered Gentiles. If you did not have a mother and father that was a Jew, you were considered a Gentile. Pretty easy to figure it out, okay? But if you were outside and you wanted to convert, you wanted to join, you wanted to become part of this group, They came up with a set of rules and a set of guidelines that you had to follow for you to become a Jew. What were those guidelines? Well, the first one is a little surgery called circumcision, and that's the reason most of the converts were women and not men. Um, So, um, but no, I mean, literally, for a guy to become a Jew who was not a Jew, he actually had to go through this very painful experience called circumcision. Circumcision. The second thing you have to participate in is a ceremonial meal. Usually, this was a Passover feast where they remember God's deliverance of the of the people of Israel out of Egypt. The third thing was acknowledge the law. They might have to memorize portions of the law. They might have to recite portions. But most importantly, they would have to agree to live by the portions of the law. The fourth thing is they would have to offer some form of a sacrifice. And the last thing was they would have to have a ceremonial washing. A ceremonial washing. And what they would do at the ceremony washing is you would go into one of these mikvahs, you would take off your outer garment, you would walk down into it, and as you walked down and, and, and squatted down in the water, you were symbolizing that you were cleansing yourself of your old way of life, your Gentileness, if you would. And you were coming out of that water. As you were coming out of that water, you were becoming new. You were identifying with Judaism, and you were going to follow the God of Israel. And so, this is the practice that they would go through, and it was well-documented. And in areas where Greek-speaking Jews were converted to Judaism, when they would talk about the ceremonial washing, guess what word they would use? The word baptize, the word baptize. And then in 30 AD, an event changed everything, an event changed everything. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, this guy shows up on the scene, and uh, his name is John. And he shows up on the scene, and it describes him in Matthew chapter 3 verse 4. He has clothes made of camel's hair, had a leather belt, his food was locusts and wild honey. He was a wild-looking dude, I imagine. I imagine. Um, And... So this guy comes kind of out of the will, out of the desert, out of the wilderness, and he starts preaching. And his message isn't very complicated. His message is just um, repent, 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 repent of your sins, and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now remember, he's not talking to irreligious people. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jews. He's telling Jews repent, turn from your sin. These are supposed to be the good people. These are supposed to be the people that are following after God. These are supposed to be the ones that are, that are righteous and holy. And he says, and turn to God. And the Jews are like, what, what do you mean turn to God? We're already God's children. Why, what, why do we have to turn to God? John went on to say, God's doing something very, very different. Something's going to change and someone's going to show up. And that person who's going to show up, it's not me, it's someone coming after me. And it's not enough just for you to be a Jew. Don't just say, well, my father's Abraham, so I'm good, you know. He said, don't just say you're a Jew. He said, being Jewish isn't enough. Going to the synagogue isn't enough. Burning sacrifices isn't enough. You have to stop your sinful ways, and you have to turn from your sinful ways and say, I'm going to follow after God. And then suddenly, he started doing something that had never been done before. He went down to the Jordan River, and uh, there's a picture of the Jordan River, not a very nice-looking river. Um, and this is the site where they think John the Baptist was baptizing. And so, they were down at this river, and uh, people, he goes down in the water, and he starts inviting people down in the water. And as he invites them down in the water, he starts putting them down under the water and bringing them back out. He starts baptizing people. And people on the shore are like, what, what's he doing? That's what you do in the mikvah when, you, when you're cleansing yourself. What's he doing out there? Why is it out in front of everybody? What in the world is going on? All of a sudden, everything changed. Everything changed. What used to be private is now public. What used to be done for cleansing is now being done to identify yourself with John the Baptist. You see, when a person would become a Jew, they would identify themselves no longer as a Gentile, but now as a what? As a Jew, right? And John says, it's not enough just to be a Jew, you have to decide if you're going to follow the one who's coming after me. That's what you have to decide on. Um, there's a few guys dunking themselves many times. That water was very, very cold, by the way, extremely cold. Um, but, and this guy became known as John the what? John the washer? John the dipper? John the plunger? You know? No, he was John the what? John the Baptist, Right? Yeah, the little O in the middle is the word the, and actually that's the baptizer. He was known as John the Baptizer. That's how he became new, known because this was something new. This was something that had never been done before. This word had never been used in the language before to describe this kind of event that was taking place. It was only associated when something new that was happening, something new that was occurring. And so long lines were forming, and people were recognizing that, you know, I, want to, I, want, I believe in what he's saying. I'm looking forward to this one, this Messiah. I know a little bit about it from the Old Testament. I know a little bit about it, what it said, but I know he's coming. And they would ask John, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come and say, Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? He's like, No, no, no. I'm not the promised one. I'm not the promised one. He said, He would say, There's one's coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. There's someone coming after me far, far greater than me, far, far greater than me. And while he was involved in doing this around this same time, maybe when he was actually even baptizing, we're not sure, he looked and he saw someone coming. And he said this, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, oh, there's the carpenter from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, the guy from Nazareth, you guys know him. He didn't say that. I don't know how John knew this. I don't know how John knew who Jesus was. I don't know if they had a conference before. Hey, this is who I am, and I'm coming. I'm going to come on the scene, and then you make this pronouncement. I don't know if they had a huddle before and announced that. I don't know. I think maybe God told him. I think that's what happened. But he got incredibly excited, and he said, you're asking me if I'm the Messiah, and I'm not but I'm going to tell you what's happening. If you want to get on board with what's happening, if you want to follow Him, if you want to be devoted to Him, you need to turn from the stuff that you're doing and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And by the way, that guy, I can't even carry his sandals. I can't even carry his sandals. And so then when Jesus came down to the water, He said to John, He said, will you baptize me? And John said, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Why are you coming to me? Jesus goes on to say, let it be so now for it's proper for us to fill all righteousness. The word righteousness simply means right things, right things. Jesus said, this is the right thing for me to do. He said, I want to be identified with the people who are following after God. I want to be identified with the people who said, I am committed to God. I'm walking away from my own way of life and I'm going to pursue something new. And then Jesus' disciples started baptizing others. They said, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, anybody believes that He's the Son of God and He's come to deliver us and is willing to follow Him, then we're going to baptize you. And they were willing to go public with this new allegiance. And so this new new tradition, this new event got launched. John the Baptist started it, Jesus' disciples continued it, and when Jesus left this earth, he said to his followers, he said, I want you to go and make disciples, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invited them to go public with their faith. He said, I want you to go public. I want you to tell everybody else that you're a follower of Jesus. This is not just going to be a secret private thing that you do in your own home, and nobody knows about this. This is when you go public. And he says, I want you to teach others Everything that you have learned. Jesus says, I want you to make this public. So baptism is a couple of things. The first thing baptism is, it's a public declaration of a new association. It's a public declaration of a new association. It's saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm following Him. I believe He died for my sins, and I received this free gift of salvation. I'm embracing everything about Jesus. He said, I used to follow myself. That's who I used to follow. I used to follow my friends or social media trends or what my family wanted to do, everybody else. But I'm not following all of them now. The one that I'm following the most is Jesus. Baptism is also a personal declaration. Nobody can do this for you. Nobody can do this for you. That's one of the reasons at CCC why we don't baptize infants. I I really don't think infants like to be baptized anyways, by the way. But they don't get a say in it. They don't get a say. They just shake their head and cry and sputter, you know. Um, you have to choose to be baptized. You have to decide if you want to go public in your faith. Now, some traditions baptize children because they hope it will keep them, you know, hope it will keep them out of hell or keep them safe till they can make a decision on their own. Some, some believe in a, in a holding tank, a limbo place. If you've not been baptized, people can pray for you, and then you'll get to heaven. There's a lot of different things out there about this that are not really in the Bible. But it's a personal decision. It's a personal decision decision or personal declaration. And lastly, baptism is not a condition for salvation, but it is evidence of salvation. It's not a condition for salvation, it's evidence. The story of Jesus when He was on the cross, there was a thief right next to Him. It's described as a thief. We don't know what the guy stole, but it was bad enough that he got hung on a cross publicly to die. And... Um, This guy clearly wasn't a God follower, not a God person. But in his final moments, maybe in his last hour, he turned to Jesus and he had watched all this unfold. He had listened to the words that Jesus said. And he said, is there any way that I can go where you're going? And Jesus turned to him and Jesus didn't say, well, you know, you can, but there's one thing you gotta do. We gotta get, this, get, the, uh, get the guards to get you down off this cross, get you into mikvah, get you dunked, and then we'll put you back up on the cross and then you go to heaven with me. That's not what Jesus said to him, did he? No. What did he say to him? He said, Today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. It wasn't really a hangout for Jesus. It's not a condition for salvation, it's not a condition to be acceptable to God. It's evidence. It's evidence. It's evidence. It proves that something has occurred. It proves it. So, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you haven't been baptized, the time to do it is right now. And so, there's a couple questions that are associated with that. The first question is, how? The first question is, how? Well, the more we talk about that here at CCC, that's not as critical, and I'll explain how we do it here in just a moment. Um, You say, well, John, what if I was baptized before, and maybe I was a little kid, or I really didn't mean it, or I wandered away from God, and I kind of went my own way, and and now I'm really serious about God. Should I be baptized again? Well, that's up to you. That's up to you. Um, The question that matters most is the second one, and that's when. That's when. The Bible's very, very clear that that baptism is something that always follows salvation. Salvation occurs and then baptism. Salvation occurs and then baptism. You say, John, what if I was baptized when I was an infant, or I was a little child, and, and, and I, I didn't know anything about it, and, and since then I've chosen to follow Jesus? Well, then I would encourage you to now be baptized again. I would encourage you to be baptized after you made that decision. Here at CCC, we baptize by immersion for three reasons. The first is we think that's what the word is talking about, so that's one of the reasons we do it. The second is it seems to follow the pattern in the Bible of people going down to the water and then coming up out of the water. And the third, Paul illustrates in Romans chapter 6, he talks about this picture of baptism. He said, when you're baptized, it's as if you're joining Jesus in dying and being buried and then coming alive once again. And so, that picture is one that we think best illustrates that that should take place. Some people ask, where should I be, where should I be baptized? Where should I be baptized? well, I think it should be public. I think it should be public. You say, can I get baptized where it's private? Sure, sure, you can find someone that'll baptize you in your creek or your pool or your bathtub. That's a little weird, but, you know, if you need that much privacy, that's okay, you know. But um, I, I think it should be public. I think it should be public. And I think it should be public because my challenge to you is that you would declare your allegiance to Christ, that you would announce this to others. I think Jesus intended baptism to be a public demonstration of your faith. And I say this often, for those of you that experienced baptisms before, we, when a person's baptized here at CCC, uh, we have someone read their story of how they came to know Jesus. And when your story gets read, there's a good possibility that more people will hear your story of how you came to faith in Christ than you will ever share with that same number of people in your whole lifetime. More people will hear it in that one opportunity. So, why miss that opportunity. I want to tell you something that happens to the rest of the people that are watching you be baptized. Um, you hear our host talk about it often. You hear us talk about it from the stage how significant this event is. So, so how does baptism um, impact people who are already followers of Jesus and have already been baptized? I'll tell you how I think it impacts. I think it helps our faith to grow. It helps our faith to grow because we get to watch people who have said, i want to go public with my faith. We get to watch and hear stories of how God is transforming people's lives. You say, but John, I don't have a great story, and and it's not a significant story, and I'm going to be honest with you. It's as meaningful to me when I hear a 12- and 13-year-old student who says, I want to follow Jesus, and I want everybody to know. As it is an adult who's lived a horrific life, and somehow God miraculously rescues them. One story is not greater than another. One story is not greater than another. And anybody that knows me knows I'll get choked up no matter what your story is. Because it's a life being changed, it's a life being changed. And so, you say, what if my story isn't that spectacular? You know what? Most of our stories aren't that spectacular. Most of us recognize we need Jesus, and we say, yes, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to give my life to Him. And so, we want to hear your stories. We want to celebrate your stories, and we want our faith to be strengthened. And so, next week, we're going to have a baptism. And… I'm going to ask everybody take out those connection cards Jeremy was talking about earlier. Grab one in the pop seat packet in front of you. If you're on the front row, grab one on the seat there. I want everybody to grab one of these. We're going to do this together, okay? Everybody, grab a card. And on the front of the card, if you're a guest, fill out a little bit more info. But if you come here regularly, just give us your name and either your email address or cell phone number. Email address or cell phone number, okay? Ready, grab a card. I want you to do that, all right? And then if you have chosen to follow Jesus, If you've given your life to Him, and you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you to turn that card over and write the word baptism on the back. Write the word baptism on the back, You say, why, John? Because this week, one of our staff is going to get in touch with you, help you get your story written, and we're going to baptize you next Sunday right here, right here. Because we want you to go public with your faith. We want you to declare that you're a follower of Jesus. We want you to announce to your family, your friends, to anybody that'll come that you have made Jesus the center of your life, and you want your life to be all about living for Him. And so, if you want to get baptized next week, just write that on the back side of your card, and our ushers will collect that, and we will be in touch with you this week. If you want to do a little bit more in preparation for that, go home, click on our website, cocalico.church, click on the Next Steps tab. And then you'll see this word baptism come up, and then you'll see there's an application for our teen and our adults. It just gives you a chance to write out your story. Just say, how did I come to know Jesus? If You're not sure how to write it out. One of us will sit with you this week. We'll help you write it out because we don't want anything to get in the way of you going public with your faith, of you declaring that you are a follower of Jesus. You know, if you're feeling a little freaked out about this, if you're not sure if you're ready to go public… I want you to think about this. Consider this. Consider that Jesus died on the cross for you. Consider that Jesus shed His blood on the cross for you. Consider that He suffered a horrible death for you. Consider that He forgave all of your sins. Consider that He wants to have a relationship not only with you now, but for eternity. And if you're feeling a little embarrassed about how you come out, look when you come out of the water, or if you don't think your story is spectacular enough, my hope and my prayer is that you compare this to what Jesus has done for you and that your excuses will drift away. And you'll say, I want to go public with my faith about following Jesus. And the truth is, on the day of your baptism, somebody's going to hear your story. And they're going to say, that's exactly where I am. Wow, that's what they did. And I'm ready to do that too. Our challenge is for you to take this step and for you to be willing to say, I want to go public, and I want to declare that I am a follower of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close? God, for those that this morning have been baptized and have gone public, I imagine as I've been talking, they have gone back in their minds and remembered when that event happened, and it is very significant to them. I pray for those that are considering taking this step, Lord, that they um, would be able to set aside their fears, their uncertainties. And would allow what Jesus has done for them to just fill their heart and say, I I want to announce this. I want to declare this. Am I a little nervous? Yeah. Am I a little unsure about doing this? Yeah. But God, I don't want those fears and that uncertainty to get in the way of me announcing that I'm a follower of Jesus. And Lord, for those who are still wrestling with their faith, trying to sort this all out, my prayer is that they come back next Sunday and they get a chance to hear story after story after story of some of people who have said, I am a follower of Jesus and I want to declare this publicly. I'm willing to surrender my whole life to give everything I have up because I want to follow him and I want to announce it to everybody that I know. God, for those that are wrestling with that, I pray that you would give them the courage to just write that word on the back of that card. And drop that in so we can make this a reality next week. Thank you, Jesus.